0: No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void where prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to days as always, I'm Alexander Chester along with my co-host Akiva Wieneker. Today we're starting your week out the right way with a special Monday doubleheader episode. Today we're looking at two teams the Atlanta Falcons and the San Francisco 49ers. These are two teams that were division rivals in the NFC West for many years. Of course, Atlanta is about 3,000 miles away from the west Coast and so finally when the NFL learned about geography, they moved the Falcons over to the NFC South. The 49ers and Falcons don't necessarily line up that often these days, but they are today because we have the 49ers at 26 and the Atlanta Falcons at 25. So we're going to start today talking to San Francisco 49ers fan Fema Schlimmel. Fema, how are you doing today? Doing well. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for being here. Fema, you are doing well. Your team appears to be in free fall. The San Francisco 49ers, since the moment Jim Harbaugh arrived on the scene, instantly became a Super Bowl contender and one of the best teams in the NFL. This offseason, not only did Jim Harbaugh leave, but following him out the door were a number of veterans and a number of young veterans retiring early. It seemed like everybody was desperate to jump ship. So the first question is, that 26 ranking, do you think that's fair, mm-hmm. do you think that's too high, do you think that's too low?
1: Yeah.
0: I definitely
3: think it's fair. I don't see the 49ers winning more than five games this season, actually. No matter how talented your roster is going to be, if they haven't played a game together, there's definitely going to be a lot of room for error. The 49ers lost many, many starters this offseason. So 26th ranking is probably about right.
0: How do you feel about new coach Jim Tomsula?
3: He's actually a great guy. Just like as a personality, I'm sure the players love him. He's been there for many, many years. He's he's previously coached a game for the 49ers a few seasons ago. He knows the players that are there. I think the 49ers front office were definitely comfortable giving him the position. They also lost Greg Roman and Vic Mangini, Vic Fango, and they replaced him with Eric Mangini. There's definitely a lot of inexperience. Not only... In terms of new players coming in, but in terms of the personnel
2: and the coaches that they replaced, as big of uh, as of an issue as you know the uh, the the retirements and defections and you know and the Alden Smith thing that we'll get to soon. Ultimately, you know Tom Zula could stink, but if Colin Kaepernick is a good quarterback, you guys will be. I don't know if you'll be Super Bowl contenders, but you guys will be okay. So where where do you think Kaepernick stands right now? I think he's
3: definitely in the middle of the pack in terms of quarterbacks in the NFL. He's definitely not a great pocket passer. He has One of the best arms in the NFL, but in the pocket, he's definitely not a good quarterback. And that's definitely something that needs to be improved. I'm not sure if the 49ers coaches have the ability to improve on that. I think if there's one coach that could have helped Kaepernick out, it would have been Jim Harbaugh. I mean, he turned around Alex Smith's career two years ago. So I don't think Tom Sula would be able to get it done. And I don't expect a good year out of Kaepernick.
0: What's the explanation for why Kaepernick? You look at his numbers. For example, let's look at his QBR. His rookie season when he took over midway through the season for Alex Smith, 72. The next year, 69. The next year, 56. Why is he getting worse and worse as he gets older and as they, in theory, add more pieces around him? Well, they definitely did
3: add a few new pieces around him. They brought in Tory Smith. They brought in Reggie Bush. Jared Hyde as well. So there's definitely more offensive firepower for Kaepernick. I still don't think he has uh, the ability to uh, succeed this season. Coaching has a lot to do with it. And... A weak offensive line. They've lost Upadi. They lost Anthony Davis. Daniel Kilgore re-injured his knee or, or his ankle, one of the two. So I don't see, I don't see Kaepernick making a huge improvement. If anything, I think he'll struggle probably early to midseason.
2: Yeah. I mean, the receiver situation, I thought for the team last year was pretty good, but I don't know. Looking at now, it's kind of a mess, right? Like Torrey Smith and Anquan and- and Bolden was a great pairing like four years ago in Baltimore. And Smith right. had his best year last year. No question and Bolden has not hit a wall like he he was still good last year but he's certainly in danger of hitting it this year but I don't see anybody else you know Vernon Davis at this point is getting up there in age and it doesn't is there a third guy at the receiver position that you think could step up um, so
3: right now it's between Jerome Simpson and Quentin Patton
2: oh so you're saying no um,
3: so I'm saying no <laughs> uh unlikely Simpson didn't play last year and Patton was hurt and Bruce Ellington, who was a special teams guy who looked good, is also injured at the moment. So there's definitely a real no third wide receiver out there. It'll probably be Reggie Bush out there, probably catching passes potentially. So we'll see what happens.
2: Who do you think is going to get the majority of the snaps? Is it Carlos Hyde?
3: Definitely Carlos Hyde. I don't see anyone else really uh, competing for the position. They brought in a rugby player, so he... Definitely raising some eyebrows in, in practice at the moment. Jared Hyde. He's like the LeBron James of rugby. So they gave him a contract out of uh, half a million. And if he makes the roster, then I think his contract goes up another 250000 So it, it looks like he's making the team. Uh, probably as a special teams guy, he'll probably see a few he snaps here and there.
0: I mean, what's the story with Carlos Hyde? He's been the running back and waiting for a couple of years, but Frank Gore just wouldn't hand the job over. And usually in those scenarios, you see the veteran getting more carries almost out of respect, whereas the young guy, especially because he only comes in in change of pace situations, his numbers look a lot better. But last year, actually, Frank Gore, the aging Frank Gore still averaged 4.3 yards a carry and Hyde only averaged four. And-, and Gore, despite his age, you know, he, he was recruited to-, to join the Colts on-, on what looked like a Super Bowl contender. And, and Hyde is left all alone. I mean, is, is Hyde good enough to be a running back on a good offense
3: i think he is and the niners have a very weak offensive line uh marcus martin was their center last year who never really played center before and he's not playing center this year he's moving to right guard i believe daniel kilgore is supposed to be the center but he's hurt they have eric Pierce, who's replacing anthony davis and anthony davis was a pro bowl uh, offensive tackle and he's he was hurt uh, most of last year, and he retired this year. Upatis was hurt last year. Honestly, leave it to a very inexperienced offensive line, and one that's going to be inexperienced and going to be a struggling offensive line again. So there's absolutely no chance. I, I don't. I see very, very little chance of success uh, for the Niners. Not because their offense is so weak, but their offensive line. They're not even doing well in practice. The Niners' defense is pretty much uh, uh, blowing blowing right through them.
0: You, you, you said that you don't think they're going to win more than five games this year. Tom Sula, I would imagine, is not going to get fired after one season, no matter how bad uh, the team performs. What? How do you feel about Tred Bocchi? He, he, he won the power struggle with Harbaugh, surprisingly, I think, to many of us. Does he keep his job if the team wins five games or less this year?
3: I think so. I don't see general managers succeeding. In that position, I think they made a lot of internal improvements. You can't replace guys like Patrick Willis or Borland, even who was outstanding as a rookie, or Alden Smith. These guys are just absolutely not replaceable. Justin Smith retired. Can't replace players like that.
0: You mentioned a, b- a bunch of the big names on defense, so let's jump there. You know, the offense is going to have some struggles, but I think the defense is is really what what shocked everybody this offseason. They lost, I think, seven starters, which is unprecedented for an NFL team. And as, and most of them to retirement. You know Patrick Willis at the peak of his career, Chris Borland, after you know just a young guy in his second season. All of these guys have left all at once, almost as if it was a coordinated evacuation of San Francisco. How bad is this defense going to be this year?
3: I don't think uh, I don't think their front line is going to be terrible. I think their secondary will be pretty bad. Eric Armstead looks like he's going to get a lot of playing time when that wasn't planned to begin with. Uh, The Niners were thinking of sticking with a three-four. On defense, they did that a lot under Harbaugh, but now with, but they might be looking at going more 4 3 since they lost, uh, Alden Smith. Glenn Dorsey's still there. Navarro Bo- uh, Bowman is, Bowman is returning. So there's definitely some hope there. So as, I don't think the uh, Niners front seven is going to be really all that bad. Uh, it's going to be the secondary that is really going to hurt them. Tank Herring definitely looked promising last year and when he was healthy. And I think, He's actually a very uh, solid defensive end. Armstead, although he's a terrible pass rusher, I think he'll definitely help out as well. They still have Aaron Lynch. Navarro Bowman is there. So there's still some... I don't think the outlook is going to be all that terrible, at least statistically, for the Niners' front seven. I think they'll definitely get burned. When it comes to the secondary, the Niners linebacking core, I think they'll be OK. Bowman's returning. They have Ian Williams, Glenn Dorsey. I don't I don't think they're going to be so bad.
2: You know, the Niners really three years ago, they were so top heavy with so many elite players around the league. And between age and injuries, I mean, I was looking at the football focus top 100 or 101. Sure. Uh Niners had two players on it on this team. One is Joe Staley, you know, who's still their left tackle. and yes. a very good Player. And the, the, other, the only other player on the team last year who made the top 100 was Chris Borland, the rookie who, who immediately retired. Retired, right. right. Um, so it's not just that um, the good players were leaving. It's just you guys really haven't – there's just not – the talent, like, wasn't even there last year. I mean, what went wrong?
3: It's usually a team issue. I think there was a lot of distraction from the media. Every week there was another story with Jim Harbaugh, whether or not he's going to stay, whether or not uh, York was going to fire him. That definitely didn't help. There was a lot of there was a lot of distraction in the clubhouse. People were saying how there was some decisive attitude coming in coming in from the locker room. Apparently, uh, Deion Sanders made this claim how. There was a player in the locker room that, that disliked Harba There was constant speculation of who it would be every single week, and that definitely didn't help. The Niners were still in the playoff hunt even late into the season. So, granted, they they didn't make the playoffs, but I don't think I don't think it was an awful season. If the team had stayed together, there they definitely could have made the playoffs this
0: year. You mentioned that last year was not a bad season. You know, you're right. They were seven and four until their their late season collapse, which I think started with the with the loss on at home. On Thanksgiving to Seattle, and then they they got a meaningless win at the end of the year at Arizona, but by then they were eliminated from the playoff race. It's funny to think back, a a year ago, in week one, they went to Dallas, and they destroyed the Cowboys, and at the time, people thought the Cowboys were going to be really bad, and the 49ers were still a Super Bowl contender. I guess my question is, they were 7-4, and then they had that late-season collapse, in a hypothetical world in which, notwithstanding the collapse and all the bad blood, where Jim Harbaugh came back and was still the coach of this team... Do you think we still would have seen that rash of of exits and and retirements, or do you think uh, some of those players would have come back to play for Harbaugh? It's hard to say.
3: I don't think they would have. I think they still would have retired. It's not at least uh, the claims that the players made. It definitely wasn't Harbaugh-related. Uh, Anthony Davis said he might return in a couple years. Borland's issue was the fact that he just wanted to keep his life intact. He was afraid of bodily harm. As for, uh, the other players, like, I, unlikely any player is gonna come out and say, oh, I'm retiring because Harbaugh left. That's, that's just ridiculous. But everyone, again, I, I honestly think the Niners, if everyone stayed intact, if Alden Smith didn't get into trouble, the Niners could easily be a playoff contention. Whenever you have that many new faces, I mean, there was an article that came out a few days ago that said that Niners lost 37% of snaps from last season, uh, which is an NFL record. Anytime you have that much change, you're just not going to succeed the following season. It's pretty much impossible. Uh, Chemistry plays a big factor in every NFL team's success, no matter how talented the 49ers roster May look on paper, it's just not not going to happen. I expect the Niners to be in contention every game. Whether or not they win
2: is a different story. All right, so let's let's go. Uh, we like to go game by game on the schedule and see uh, sure. just how good you think your team is going to be. And we're really going to learn a lot about uh, the Niners that first week because it's a very winnable game, and it's the type of game I think you basically have to win to be a playoff team. Uh, you're starting oh. the late the Chris Berman game, so you mute your TV. Talk to your friends, sure. but uh, but you could watch. Uh, you'll watch the Niners and the Vikings at 10:20 at night uh, on that Monday night game. So do, do you think the uh, Niners are going to beat the Vikings? I think they will. <laughs> well, listen. If if they don't, would you agree yes. that it's going to be a long season?
0: I, I expect a long season either way. Okay, yeah, I think I think that's going to be about a yeah.
2: 21 point game. Oh, you but, think the Vikings are going to kill them?
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's going to be close.
2: Wow, I, you, you, a Jay Glazer just came back from Vikings camp, Alex, and he was he said everyone's raving about Bridgewater.
0: Yeah, well, Alex, is- how, how many games
3: are the Niners gonna win? How many do you think?
0: Well, that, that's for you to you to decide. But um, yeah. we're impartial here. They gotta win at home on Monday night to start the season. So I think they'll do that. All right. Uh and
2: then you guys have a, a tough road swing. You go to you go to Pittsburgh the next week. A short week uh east coast. That's definitely a loss. Yeah, that I mean that's a really tough game. And then you can go to uh you know, uh, how do you think the Cardinals are going to be this year? You guys are at Arizona in that game. 9 and 7. Okay. So, so that's a loss for you. The Cardinals game. That's a loss. Yeah. And then you guys have they want this to be a big TV game, I'm sure, but if the Niners are 0 in 3, it's you know, it's probably going to be buried somewhere. Well, so you have they'll, the, they'll the be to, They're going
0: to beat the Vikings in week 1.
2: Right. If they beat the Vikings, I guess that game kind of stays there, but then they host the Packers.
0: Right. That's definitely a loss.
2: So you're one and three. Season is reeling. My old bosses at NBC are furious because now you have, you can't flex that game out yet, right? There's no flexing, uh, that early. Uh, the one and three Niners against the God willing zero and four Giants. <laughs>
3: <gasps> That's definitely going to be a Giants victory.
2: Okay. So that at this point, the season's in complete free fall. Pretty much. And then you're one and four. And you host the uh, Raven in yep. the old Super Bowl rematch.
3: I think that's another loss right there.
2: Oh boy. Then uh, a short week when you're one and five. The team you want to play is Seattle on a short week.
3: Twenty-seven nothing, Seattle.
2: Oh boy. So I mean, at this point, are you even watching the games? You're one and six.
3: No, i probably. That's probably the last game I watch.
2: That's probably the last guy. I'd agree. I'd say yeah. at St. Louis zone. Maybe we'll check it out in Red Zone. But you're one and six at St. Louis.
3: I think the next one's definitely a loss.
2: Okay, and then right before the bye. 1 and 7. Now you're talking about first draft pick, should we replace Kaepernick? you know, right. who's going to be who's going to be the quarterbacks coming out and you guys host Atlanta.
3: Another loss right there.
2: Oh boy. This is uh this is by <laughs> far our most pessimistic fan Alex. You take over from here.
0: Yeah, and your opinion of the Vikings must be pretty low if you think they're losing to everybody <laughs> they're else. I don't know. I just had
3: a good feeling uh, the Niners coming out week one trying to prove a lot of people wrong. Maybe expectations will be low for the Niners to begin the season.
0: Yeah, so... as we said last year, if you look at week one for the Niners, they were seen as the good team. The Cowboys were seen as the bad team. Um, they destroyed the Cowboys, and then right. you know there was sort of a reversal of fortune. So this year, with the Vikings being sort of everybody's sleeper in the NFC and everybody down on San Francisco – If San Francisco can reverse that and get that win, it could get, you know, it's a good way to start the season, but if you lose eight in a row, and then after the bye you go to Seattle, what happens there? That's another loss. Now we're one and nine, and again at one and nine, you still think that that nobody's job is in jeopardy on this, in this, on this team? Can, can probably. York, can York
3: fire himself? Probably Mangini will be the first to go. I can definitely see that.
0: You see, you see a mid-season coach firing, but not the head coach.
3: Not the head coach. It's usually a scapegoat type firing that happens.
0: But that's top of making that decision, though, right?
3: Probably, and it's probably going to fall on Mangini's shoulders. So, so I, not- I could definitely see I could definitely see Mangini being fired mid-season.
0: Okay, so one and nine, a nine-game losing streak, and you come home to face the Arizona Cardinals, who you've already lost to in Arizona.
3: Right. So I think that's another loss right there.
0: All right, 1-10. And now, this is the point in the season when you're thinking, well, at least we're going to lock in that number one draft pick. Uh, Right. But the thing is that that the easiest part of the schedule is this last little bit in December. Uh, It starts where you go to Chicago.
3: I think there's potential for a win. Um, It's definitely not set in stone. It depends where the Bears are. They've also – they didn't have the best – uh, season either they I don't necessarily view them as a strong team yet yeah, uh, going to be on the road but I think the Niners can pull it off.
0: All right, so they end the losing streak, they get their second win, and then they go to Cleveland, another road game with a chance for a winning streak and to uh, further hurt their draft position.
3: Right, so I think they'll probably be Cleveland. They also have their own issues. So that's definitely another win right there. I think if there's something Cleveland knows how to do, it's get number one picks. So. All
0: right, so now you're three and ten trying to salvage the season down the stretch. You come home to, to uh, face Andy Dalton and the Bengals. And oh, Dalton, this game could not be flexed out fast enough. Yeah, that's probably right. It probably won't be a Sunday night game, uh, which right. is which is to your disadvantage because Andy Dalton struggles on primetime. Just tell him a lot of people watching. He'll lose. So I think, I think the Niners are going to lose that game. And then uh, they go to Detroit to face the Lions. The Lions might be in the playoff hunt at that point. Right, so I think that's another loss. All right, in 3-12, you come home against the division rival, the St. Louis Rams, who are one of, you know, they've been a division rival even through the various iterations of the, of the NFC West, unlike, you know, Seattle, who was a more recent newcomer to your division in Arizona as well. Uh, so your longtime rival, the Rams, who might be coming back to California to visit you soon as well. What happens in Week 17? The
3: Niners pull it off. No 49er fan wants the Niners to win that game, but they probably will probably pull it out.
0: All right, so that's 4-12. and 12. Um... It's interesting because Akiva and I, we both had them 26, but for 12, 26 is probably too high, right? 26 might be too high. The other interesting thing to me is it's really an insight into the perspective that the fans have at this point in the season because all those teams below them, I think that Akiva and I, and, and maybe you as well, agree that as bad as the Niners are, it's not like Tennessee or Jacksonville or Tampa Bay or Oakland or Washington or Cleveland are necessarily better than them. But we've spoken to the fans from all of those teams, and all those teams think that their team is going to be around 500, and a few of them have their teams making the playoffs. Now, that might be just yeah. delusion on their part, but it's interesting that those teams have been losing for so long that they're looking for any glimmer of hope. And as an Niners fan, you've seen what winning looks like in the last few years, and so you're realistic enough to know that this is not a team that's going to do that. Right. I just,
3: I mean, I think any fan of any team would be realistic enough to realize that, hey, my team's just not going to succeed this uh this season, given all the new faces and given all the new faces in the coaching staff. So, you, uh, so
0: yours is not a unique perspective. You think most 49ers fans agree with you that this is going to be a really bad season?
3: I think so. It's just way too much turmoil. It's not easy to succeed. Any 49er fan that would be optimistic, I I mean, I just have to question their sanity in terms of when has this many new faces appeared on a roster and have actually succeeded as a team. When Jim Harbaugh took over back in 2000, 2011, the Niners' roster was intact from the previous year. He just he took the same team and he took them uh, to the NFC Championship and then the following year to the Super Bowl. So the faces that were there were always there. I think there has to be some sort of chemistry. There has to be some some sort of familiarity in terms of the system. And the Niners just don't have that. Every quarterback needs to be familiar with their coach. And I don't think the Niners have that. And so I just don't see any optimism for, for success.
0: If they go 4-12 and 12 and they struggle like that, do you think Colin Kaepernick is still their quarterback at this time next year?
3: I think so. A lot of that has to do with is there another quarterback better that's out there that – that's actually attainable. I don't think Kaepernick will have an awful year in terms of throwing. In terms of the average quarterback, somewhere sure. in the mid tier.
0: As we said at the top, his numbers yeah. have gotten worse each of the three years of his career. Do you think in year right. four they're worse than last year, or they're about the same, a little bit better?
3: I think it'll be the same. Maybe slightly better since uh, Torrey Smith is, is probably the best deep threat, uh, deep threat that Kaepernick has. Torrey Smith has led the league the last two years and pass interference penalties.
0: So there you have it. Thanks, FEMA Schlimmel, for coming on to the podcast today. To be honest, you're the most pessimistic fan we've had yet, but probably the most realistic. You have your San Francisco 49ers really struggling this year, 4-12. and 12. Fima can be found on Twitter at FimSlim, that's F-I-M-S-L-I-M. And Slim also represents the chances that he thinks the 49ers have to compete this year. Moving on now to number 25... The 49ers' former NFC West division rivals, now in the NFC South, where they belong geographically, the Atlanta Falcons. And here to talk about the Falcons today is Gavin Napier. Gavin, how are things going today?
1: Appreciate you guys having me on.
0: Well, we're just going to jump into it, and I'm just going to jump down your throat. Uh, you know, Coming into the 2013 season, the Falcons were a Super Bowl contender, uh, and they went 4-12, and and I think nobody saw that coming. And then last year, in the worst division in football, in spite of... Going six and ten, you had week seventeen. You had a game on the line to make to make the playoffs, and you got blown out by the Panthers. And so that's that's two years in a row where the Falcons have really struggled. And I think to the casual fan, they look at this roster, and especially you know the casual fan, the fantasy football player. You have a superstar quarterback. You have star wide receivers. You know Bill Barnwell and others have written about the fact that this roster is so top heavy that one guy goes down like Julio Jones and everything falls apart. They don't have support on the lines. They don't have depth basically across the board, which is why even with big names at, at, at the skill positions, this team has struggled a lot. So tell me right off the bat, how do you feel about that 25th ranking? And, and do you think this is a team that's improved on some of those problems that they've had in the last couple of years? Or
1: I think the 25th ranking is probably fair for us coming off the last couple of seasons. I think the, the top-heavy roster is – I think you're seeing some of the fallout from the Julio Jones trade a few years ago where we mortgaged so many draft picks – to be able to get that top flight receiver from Matt Ryan to pair with Roddy White. And so as the years went by and we didn't have those draft picks started to see a little bit of top heavy roster issues where there was absolutely no depth especially along the offensive and defensive lines beyond that unfortunately it took a little bit longer for Arthur Blank and Thomas Dimitrov to pull the trigger than I would have liked Mike Smith lost the team after the NFC championship game against the San Francisco 49ers and I know a lot of Atlanta fans will scream about pass interference and that's all well and good but that shouldn't have been an issue they shouldn't have been in that position because we saw a repeat of the same thing that that happened to Mike Smith teams throughout his tenure in Atlanta, and that is you get a big lead and then you squander it and you put yourself in a do-or-die situation in the fourth quarter. So I I think that the new coaching staff will help. I think some of the additions on defense will help. I think a new scheme with zone blocking and Shanahan will help. I do think the team will be improved. I do think that they will be a fringe playoff contender, maybe a wild card with around a 500 record. I'm, I'm optimistic as everyone else is around this time of year, but the biggest reason for my optimism. Is statistically the Falcons play the easiest schedule in the league this year, and I can't, you know, I really can't complain about last year. Even though we went six and ten, I think last year was a big year for us for two reasons. One, we beat the Saints twice, and if <laughs> if we go if we go two and fourteen and beat New Orleans twice, it's it's a decent year. And I think that a year like last year, where we had the horrific game against the Detroit Lions, where we blew the three touchdown lead in the second half, I think that type of year was necessary for the front office to make the change with Mike Smith because Arthur Blank didn't seem like he was going to do anything drastic unless it was absolutely 100% warranted, and I think last year finally tipped the iceberg.
0: Didn't he say that firing Smith was the hardest decision he's ever made in his
1: career? He didn't. I really don't understand yeah. it, other than <laughs> other than Blank's just a big, soft-hearted guy, because he's the same guy that really petitioned for Mike Vick to get back in the league, even after all the trouble Vick caused the Atlanta franchise.
2: I was grow attached to the team that was on hard knocks, was paying very close attention to the Falcons last season, especially... To your uh, wide receiver's uh, tree in his house indoors in the pool. But uh, (laughs) Harry Douglas is no longer on the team. And I I think Croy Bierman is also no longer on the team, right? But, uh, you know, it wasn't shocking to see Smith fired, but as a Jets fan, I really wanted Dan Quinn to get hired. A lot of Jets fans did, and you guys ended up getting him. Uh, so what are your first impressions of Quinn?
1: Uh, I'm always cautious when coordinators get first-time head coaching positions, especially super-hype coordinators, whether it's offense or defense, because that doesn't always translate. I mean, Dick LeBeau's arguably the greatest defensive coordinator in the history of football, and it just didn't translate to head coaching success. That said, the players already seem to be responding well, to Dan Quinn uh, he seems to have, have brought some new energy into the franchise after things had become sort of ho-hum under Mike Smith and so I like the moves that he's made in adding guys to the roster that may not be superstars but I think they'll be able to compete and I certainly think that that Dan Quinn's scheme will play to the strengths of the Falcons defense it's a little bit more you combine that with some of the roster moves that were made through the draft and, and free agency and I I think it'll be an improvement. Again, I don't see them as world beaters this year, but I, I can see a little bit of hope for the first time in a few years.
2: You know, I, I, uh, before we even discuss the uh, the work, the inner workings of the 2015 roster, I have to ask you about the Lions game. Like, you know, like for how many days after that game did you completely lose your will?
1: For about 10 minutes in the second half of the game. Because at that point I had already resigned the season to be in a complete waste and actually that gave me a little bit of hope that Mike Smith would be fired like I, that was my rationale throughout the entire uh, dumpster fire that was 2014 for us was that this is gonna get Mike Smith fired this this is gonna bring in a new regime saving grace now, If that had happened in either of the New Orleans games, I would have been a miserable human being to be around for the next two or three weeks. Uh, But with Detroit, I just saw it as another piece of the puzzle that was necessary to getting somebody new on the sidelines.
0: Yeah, I know what you mean. When you have a coach who you think is not going to be the one to move you forward, you always have that glimmer when they have just a devastating loss. You're like, well, maybe this will convince the front office of what the fans already know needs to happen.
1: Right. Yeah, that that was my hope every game except for two last year. And actually, it was the first time in in a very long time that I've cheered against the Falcons in Week 17. I I wanted Carolina to pick up that win so that we didn't lose all of those draft positions because I knew we needed more than anything a top-flight pass rush to be added to our defense. And if we made the playoffs and get knocked into the bottom 12, 14 spots of the draft, that wasn't going to be there for us. Wow. So
0: even even, you know, knowing that you'd get a home game and of course Carolina did win that game against the against the Cardinals team with no quarterback and you know, once you're in the final eight, anything can happen. But but you but you sort of had the foresight that this was a team that ultimately was too broken to to really contend seriously.
1: Yeah, we sucked. The <laughs> the, the offensive the offensive line was beat up. We didn't have a strong running game with Steven Jackson. Uh, and that was one of the biggest frustrations with Mike Smith was just because Steven Jackson was there and he was a veteran. He was taking the snaps that Antone Smith should have been taking. So you combine that with a complete lack of a pass rush. Croy Bierman led the team with four and a half sacks last year. That's that's an embarrassment. Very thin at the linebacker position. Really the bright spot for us last year was the uh, development of Font in the secondary. But no, that that team, they may have been able to beat Arizona, but Arizona beat them a few weeks earlier in the same quarterback situation. The Arizona still rolled Atlanta. So I, I didn't have any hopes or delusions that they were going to make any noise in the playoffs. And at that point, draft position was just more important.
2: All right, so let's let's move into the offense. And I want to preface this whole you know going going player by player really through the Falcons with the statement that looking through um, the rosters of some of the worst teams in the league this last week or two, I'd say outside of the quarterback. So from position, you know, from two to fifty-three, this is the worst roster I've seen. Oof. I mean like if you th- i mean listen the fact that you have Matt Ryan makes you better than a lot of the teams we've spoken about, but i I just don't see what you're building around other than you know Julio Jones and an aging roddy white like obviously you know that's enough really to win you a few games, just having a super elite wide receiver with an excellent quarterback, but you know, Looking around, I, at offense and the defense, which we'll discuss soon, I don't see a ton of, of great players. So tell me if I'm wrong. Is there anyone on offense who's really exciting you?
1: We haven't seen anything from him in the pros yet, obviously, but Justin Hardy, wide receiver, fully expect him to get the starting slot position over Leonard Hankerson. Uh, this was a guy that I had the opportunity to see in college a few times up close and personal as I live in the same town that Marshall University is in. Uh, so they played East Carolina. The guy's a machine in the slot. He is an absolutely fantastic route runner. I think that his hands are impeccable. He doesn't drop passes. If the ball is near him, he is like a vacuum cleaner. So I think that's going to add a new dynamic and sort of fill in some of the gaps that we're missing at the tight end spot. I think bringing in Moyaki at the tight end position certainly helps from a veteran leadership perspective, but I don't expect him to do huge things. Um, And I think that Shanahan's zone blocking scheme is going to make the offensive line look better than it has. I think Mike Tice got a lot out of a broken unit last year, uh, and I hated to see Mike Tice move on because he did such a good job of coaching those guys up. But I do think that Shanahan's zone blocking scheme is going to help the offensive line, the running backs, and keep Matt Ryan's jersey clean for uh, a few more extra seconds in the pocket this year.
0: Yeah, Kyle Shanahan is, you know, his offense likes to make use of the tight end. And you lose the greatest tight end ever, and you bring in Moiaki and also Jacob Tamme, who are two veterans who really haven't gotten it done when when given the opportunity. With, with you know with the exception of Tamme, a couple of games of paint Manning throwing at him. Were you surprised that they didn't go after you know like Max Williams out of Minnesota or something like that in the draft?
1: A little, but at the other on, on the other hand, we had bigger needs. I don't think anybody's expecting this year's draft or this year's off moves to turn us into Super Bowl contenders. So we had much, much bigger pieces that we had to address before the tight end spot. Obviously, it's something that you like to have, especially in uh, today's passing-oriented NFL. And I think there's still a, a glimmer of hope that with a new coaching staff, they can get a little bit more out of Levine Toilolo. Uh, he's a huge target, not not much of a blocker. Those big, long arms don't do much for him when he's put into blocking situations but we saw a couple of times last year where he did make a nice red zone target nice goal line target from matt ryan if a guy's six eight if they can teach him to get open and work on his hands a little bit i think he can contribute more than we've seen from the tight end position since tony gonzalez retired
2: i mean matt ryan is so interesting you know i I have a hard time you know seeing like a quarterback of his sort of elite level you know tom brady's never gone six and ten you know peyton manning hasn't gone six and ten since uh his rookie year. I mean, wh- where would you rank Ryan amongst the quarterbacks in the league?
1: Uh, well, right off the top of top of my head, warning, hot take approaching. Tom Brady, to me, is still the best quarterback in the league. I know. He's older. I know people think he's lost some zip, but I still think Brady is, if I had to win one game in the NFL, Tom Brady's the guy I on want under center.
0: Akiva, I'm, I'm going to have to put our hot t- take drop in over there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Aaron Rodgers, as much as it pains me to say it until we see a, a steep decline in his ability, Drew Brees is there. I think Roethlisberger with, The right set of receivers still comes in ahead of Maddie. Objectively speaking, I'd say that Maddie is in the bottom half of the top ten, probably around the eight or nine position. As a fan, as someone that's watched him a lot and knowing the situation that he's been in and being handcuffed by some of the coaching calls that that Mike Smith made over the last few seasons, knowing that the offensive line was broken, knowing that there's been no running game from Steven Jackson to support the passing game to know, to see what he's still been able to do personally Rodgers and Brady are really the only two guys that I would take over Matt Ryan for for my personal preference but objectively until he wins in the playoffs a little more or puts a ring on his finger he's 8 to 10
0: yeah I, you know I don't think that's unfair there's there's a, there's a few more guys you didn't mention, I think we'd have to say, Andrew Luck and Russell Wilson and Tony Romo, sure. and uh, and even as he's getting older, Philip Rivers. But, you know, I think that's a pretty fair assessment. Let's look in the backfield. They got rid of Steven Jackson. What's the situation going to be in the backfield?
1: For my personal preference, I I, I think that Anton Smith has more than earned a spot uh, as as the starter. Um, but for whatever reason, that doesn't seem to be the, the feeling that the coaching staff or the front office has. Devontae Freeman um, and the Coleman, kid that they drafted out of indiana seem to be really high on everyone's list and it seems like those are going to be the two guys that really duke it out for the starting spot however for me it's less about personnel right now and more about scheme because we've seen both shanahan's mike and kyle get a whole lot out of lower round and even undrafted running backs and so if that zone-blocking scheme and, and Shanahan's magic with running backs can do its trick, then I'd say you're probably still going to see a running back by committee, and probably the majority of the splits will go between Coleman and Freeman.
2: Yeah, I will say there's a lot of high upside there. I mean, Smith, you know, 23 carries last year, but for over six yards a carry, which was a lot for a team that really couldn't move the ball at all, you know, Rodgers and Jackson, the other guys. Um, one more offense question, Gavin. Yes. So you guys drafted Jake Matthews. Again, I, I like him on Hard Knocks. But he
1: was awful last year, right? He was probably about 10% less than expected for a normal rookie. Obviously, being drafted as highly as he was, I think that set the expectations a little bit higher. And then you combine that with the family pedigree. And Jake had a lot of pressure on him. Jake also played through a lot of pain last year. He had a nagging foot and ankle injury that while he was able to get back on the field, it was not completely healed up. I think that he'll be better this year. Having another year of experience under his belt certainly helps, but I also think that you're going to see him take more of a leadership role on that line because he's established, and even though that he, even though he didn't play the best in the world last year, he was still probably our best offensive lineman. Uh, I mean, your other options are Sam Baker, Peter Kahn's. So I think Jake will blossom this year. And if he can keep those feet and ankles healthy, then I think you're going to see a different offensive lineman out of him.
2: I mean, the numbers really like the
1: Asamoah, the right guard. Yeah, and and I like having him on the line. I think that he's going to be a a good fit for the uh, zone scheme. But I'll be very, very surprised if... Jake doesn't take some steps towards becoming an elite offensive lineman this year. I don't know that he'll be elite this year, but I think you'll see a lot of progress out of, out of him.
2: And on the defense side of the ball, you mentioned uh, Desmond Trufant earlier, who uh, was really, really good. And he's the only player I have listed here as uh, as an above-average player on the defense. So is there anybody else? Uh, you, and, of course, you guys drafted Vic Beasley, so I'm sure you're expecting big things out of him. Is there anybody on this uh, defense that you really think could you know take you know, make the leap or, or at least become, you know, an above average player here.
1: Depending on what Brian Cox is able to do uh, on the defensive line with Rashid Hangman, I think Rashid can get better because towards the end of last year, we saw Rasheed start to become a little bit more aggressive. Uh, and you mentioned watching hard knocks. You know, Brian Cox was all over him every day in camp, every day in practice.
2: I thought that was cigars Brian Cox was
1: all over. Well, those two. And there's nothing wrong with a good cigar for what that's worth. Nicaragua makes some. I, I really think, Rashid that if, if he keeps that aggressive streak up, if he continues to push himself, I think that he can become a, an above-average player. Certainly not someone that, I, again, I don't see him becoming elite. I don't think the tools are there for him to become elite, but I do think that he can become a very good defensive player. The cornerback position, the safety position, I think Willie Moe can rebound and, and have a nice year this year. It all depends on staying healthy, which is something he's not been able to do so far, and that's been the knock on a lot of these guys. But the the coaching staff seems happy with the effort that they've gotten through camp. Uh, they do think that the pass rush will be improved, but let's face it, it's not like it was going to get any worse when Corey Bierman's your sack leader with four and a half. It's, you don't have real far to fall. Um, but I, I'm interested to see how Adrian Claiborne adapts in, into the scheme and, and how he works out. Uh, because I think that if we can get anything at all out of him, then it makes the guys like Willie Moe and Trufant's job a lot easier when you generate a pass rush.
0: All right, so Gavin, I think you already mentioned that the Falcons have the easiest schedule in the NFL coming into the season.
1: The Which is, I'm grateful for.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, the, tr- the truth is that the worst two divisions of football are, are you know, the, the AFC and NFC South, and you get you get 10 games against those teams, and then probably the third worst, although there's definitely a gap, with the NFC East, and you, you get four, in fact, four of the first five weeks against that division. So... If, if a team can't come out of the NFC South with at least an 8-8 record this year, I'm going to be very surprised and, and even more embittered about the NFL's failure to address their, their playoff system. Um, but, you know, let's go through the schedule game by game, and we'll see if you think that the Falcons are the team who can you know win eight games in that division this year. As I said, you start deep in the NFC East, and it starts on Monday night with the early Monday night game against the Philadelphia Eagles.
1: I, I like Atlanta to win this one. I don't like them to blow Philly out but there's been a lot of roster turnover in Philadelphia as well. Uh, Chip Kelly's system is fairly complicated, and I think that there's going to be a period of adjustment. I do think Philly ends up winning the NFC East, but I think that we still won early in the season at home under a new coach with hopefully a genuinely loud crowd, not an artificially inflated crowd.
0: <laughs> um and then you uh, you can help Philly's efforts in winning the division if you can go on the road and, and, and grab a couple more against the NFC East. In week two, you go to the Giants.
1: I, I've got this one penciled in as a loss for us. I think that our offense can definitely put up points against the Giants, but if they get their offense clicking on all cylinders, and this is a team in Atlanta that has struggled on the road over the last couple of seasons, especially um, then – you know, going going into New York's not the easiest thing in the world to do. The one saving grace is it's early in the season. We won't be going into the bitter cold. But I don't have a lot of faith in this team to win on the road, so I've got that one as a loss for us.
0: Yeah, although I'll note that Eli actually tends to get worse as the season wears on. Usually, I think the last time I invested heavily, uh, if gambling were legal, of course, uh, in the Atlanta Falcons was that wild card game against the Giants, where I'm fact, sorry, where I think they scored two points, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Yeah, so, yes. so that did not work out. But one and one and then you go to Dallas, another NFC East game, and this one on the road again.
1: I, I don't think this one will be close. I think Dallas is just a flat-out better team. Uh, I'm, I'm actually expecting uh, a lot of noise in the playoffs. I do think Dallas gets in as a wild card because I think Philly wins the division. But I've tentatively got Dallas in the NFC game this year. Um, I think Romo and Bez worked some stuff out and, and put on a show, and unfortunately – I think Atlanta's going to be one of their victims.
0: Uh, you're still playing against Texas, but this time it's home against Houston.
1: I actually like Atlanta to win this one. I like the, the homecoming aspect, get back home after a couple of tough games on the road. I don't, don't think that Houston, without Arian Foster, is a special team. And obviously, in, in tearing the groin away from the bone, I don't think we're going to have to worry about Arian Foster in the first half of the season, at the very least. Um, if, they can, if they can control the passing game, then i like atlanta's odds and with Trufant back there if willie mo stays healthy and can contribute you've got alfred back there who's an average defender not great um, but i like him to bottle up houston and put some points on the board get back to 500. 2-0 at
0: home and i'll note that the last two years the falcons are 6-10 at home so if they can get 2-0 at home and then the next week they have a very winnable game at home against washington so that might be an indication that they're turning it around so what happens in week five at home against washington
1: I do think they beat the Redskins. I think there's probably a little bit of false optimism because at this point, you know, in, in beating a Houston team that's minus a running back and, and beating a Philly team that's had a lot of turnover and picking up a win against Washington, I think Atlanta's beating the teams that average teams should beat. Um, and I think that's where Atlanta will be this year. I think they'll be an average team. Uh, unfortunately, I think with a 3-2 and two record after five weeks, a lot of the fan base is going to get really optimistic and get some really heightened expectations that they probably shouldn't have.
0: All right, well, then the next week on short rest, you have a Thursday night game, the first of uh, your games against New Orleans, your big rival. The second one, I would imagine, will have even higher uh, implications. But what happens in week six on the road at New Orleans?
1: Look, I don't, I don't care if you replace the Falcons roster with a team of high schoolers. I'm not picking New Orleans to beat us, ever. And, and it's not objective. Um, although I will say this, I think that the New Orleans Saints are in salary cap hell. Uh, The Junior Galette situation has attributed a ton of dead money to their roster. They have been forced to cut a lot of veteran players. The wide receiver and the running back positions are question marks for them for the first time in a long time. And I really don't think New Orleans is going to be very good at all this year. Um, So even even speaking objectively, not just as a Falcons fan against our bitter rivals, uh, I do think that Atlanta can sweep this series again this year.
0: Well, you know what? If uh, you thought the fans are going to get overly excited at 3-2, and two, if they go to 4-2 and, <laughs> and the next three games are against three of the worst teams in the NFL, uh, you know, there might be a lot of parties in Atlanta by the bye week. But let's take a week of time. In Week 7, you go to Tennessee to meet Marcus Mariota, possibly, and the Titans.
1: I do think it will be Mariota, and I do think Tennessee will win this game. Um, I think one of the problems that Atlanta has had is a letdown in the week, following the New Orleans games. then That's not a recent thing.
0: Four and three, then you come home and you get to face likely the, the other top draft pick at quarterback at home against the Bucks and Jameis Winston.
1: Yeah, this was one of the teams that we handled pretty well last year uh, with the big blowout win, which I felt like was starting to right the ship for us after a few really tough losses. Um, I don't have high hopes for Jameis Winston in the NFL. Uh, I don't think he's going to be a very strong quarterback. I don't think he really, I don't think he's NFL material, and, and maybe that's just bias from not being super impressed with his character in college, but I don't have high hopes for him. My gut tells me he's not going to be a great quarterback, and I think this is a game that the Falcons can win.
0: You know what? If a division rival wastes a number one overall pick on a guy you don't think is going to be a good quarterback, that can only be to your benefit.
1: I was thrilled when they took him. Thrilled.
0: Now now you're 5-3. And, and I think this is, this is going to be a really big game because you're going into the bye week. You're 5-3. and three, You're traveling to the West Coast. But if you beat the Niners, you're 6-3 and three in first place heading into the bye week, and then fans are really going to be pumped up. So what happens in, in week nine at San Francisco? Well,
1: I, I don't think we'll have to worry about optimism because for all of the 49ers' troubles, for the complete chaos that has existed in their front office and in their roster and on their sidelines in this off season, they've always been our boogeyman, dating back to the old NFC West days. And for whatever reason, this is a team that we just can't get over the hump against, no matter how good we are, no matter how bad they are. I hate, I hate, I hate road trips that go out to the West Coast. And I, I think that we take a heartbreaker here and, and go into the bye week on a loss.
0: Definitely, you're in playoff position in that division, I would imagine.
1: Yeah, I think if we, can, if we can sit at five and four going into the bye week, I don't think anybody has any right to complain about anything that happens for the rest of the season.
2: All right, so after the bye, you start hosting the Colts.
1: And I don't like our odds even coming off a bye week on that. Uh, I think Andrew Luck has too many weapons on that offense for our defense. Uh, He's a guy that you have to be able to generate a pass rush and disrupt his timing on. And until I see some evidence of a pass rush, I'm not going to hold my breath and think that we're going to be able to do that. So, uh, unfortunately, I, I do think that we come out of the bye week and, and end up with back-to-back losses to put us back to 500.
2: Uh And so then at 5-5, five and five, uh, you host Chester's beloved Minnesota Vikings the next week.
1: Uh, to me, this game hinges entirely on Adrian Peterson and, and how healthy he is and how much he can contribute after a year off. Now, personally speaking, I'm a huge Adrian Peterson fan. Um, we, we talked a little bit before we started recording uh, about Randy Moss, uh, me being very close to Marshall University here and his contributions in Minnesota. So I've always had something of a soft spot for Minnesota other than that one NFC championship oh God, game that we won't talk don't, about. Yeah, don't mention that. <laughs> but uh, I think that if we can keep Adrian Peterson under control here, that I, I think we can get this win. And the only reason that I say this is because it's at home, because I think Minnesota's future is much brighter with Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback. I think they've they've put some excellent pieces around him. And I think that Minnesota is a team that can really do some damage in the NFL over the next few years. But I, I like Atlanta to steal one at home here.
2: After the Vikings victory, you guys, go to Tampa Bay, Carolina, and Jackson. Uh, an interesting three-game uh, stretch, which uh, you know a good team would really tear through. But what it's do you also think? Also
0: weird, they don't face the Panthers until December.
1: Yeah, it's that back voted division schedule that the nfl goes with now which in, in some ways is great for television but it's also sort of frustrating for teams in the playoff hunt to have to face division rivals that many times at the end of the year um i think we go one and two over this stretch um i think we definitely take the loss to carolina and although we should beat jacksonville and tampa bay this is a team that occasionally is known to cough up games that they should win i don't know which one they lose but flip a coin, they win one, they lose one with Jacksonville and Tampa Bay. Then you host the Panthers. I'll, I will take us to knock off the Panthers at home. Uh, it's a team that we have dealt with pretty well at home. Now, on the road, it's been a different story. Cam Newton frustrates me because I, I, don't, I didn't like him in college. I don't like him now, especially with him playing for a division rival. But uh, he has exceeded my expectations as a pro quarterback. However, I do think that if we can keep Matt Ryan's jersey clean, because that's been the issue against Carolina over the last couple of years is they've generated a, a monster pass rush with that front seven. If we can keep, keep Matty Ice upright, then I think we can still one at home against what I think is probably the best, most complete team in the division right now.
2: And, and then uh, we know where you're going here, but uh, they're hosting the Saints at 8-7. and seven. Division on the line, maybe? They
0: might have
1: clinched it. it so you may ice. clinch
2: it. So I don't mean for the Saints, but, you know, the Panthers are going to say,
1: it may it may make a difference for Atlanta, but I, I don't think New Orleans will be in contention. And again, I'm trying to be objective with that and not speak as a, a team that I just hate and don't want to see succeed. Uh, but I really don't think they're going to do very well this year. Uh, but again, uh, under no circumstances could I sleep at night if I pick New Orleans to beat Atlanta.
0: All right, so there you have it, nine and seven, a, uh, a bounce back year for the Falcons. You know, not not what they were. In, from 2011 to 2013, earlier in Matty Ice's career. But I think that if the Falcons go 9-7 and, and and very likely make it to the playoffs, people will be happy with the new coach. People will be excited uh, once again for Atlanta Falcons football. So I'd like to thank our special guest today discussing the Falcons, Gavin Napier. Gavin, you're on Twitter at uh,
1: GavinNapierTCH. Is that right? That is correct. And Appreciate you guys means, having me on tonight.
0: That means that we are a quarter of the way through 32 fans in 32 days. And tomorrow we have the 24th ranked Akiva. Are you excited? I thought that was a fourth ranked. Hold on. <laughs> it is the New York football Jets. And we might have one, two, or even three Jets fans to discuss that team tomorrow. So thanks again, and we will speak to you tomorrow.